Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Sherrill. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. You guys, raise your right hand with me. Say I. Oh, come on, say I. Am ready. This morning. I'm not convinced. Raise your left hand. Say I. Am ready. This morning. If you don't have a Bible, we have free ones for you. We always keep them in the back. I would love for you to grab one as a gift. We are um, going to be in the book of Luke this morning, but before we get there, I just kind of want to open us and talk about the word home. Home. Everybody say home. Webster defines home this way. It's a place where one lives permanently, especially as a member of a family or a household. The place where one lives permanently, especially as a member of a family or a household. And here at Declaration Church, we say this phrase a lot. We say, welcome home. We are not saying that is a great um, cliche phrase. That's not the heartbeat of why we say that. We say that because we deeply mean we want you to be welcomed home into the family. We, um, it's, I think it's my desire. It's our desire as a church. I know that because I watch you day in and day out. And I love seeing you not only here but on social media and just your generosity, your grace for people, your love for people. I know I can 100% say it's our desire collectively that people feel comfortable here, that they feel um, seen, that they feel heard, that they feel cared for. And so maybe if I would try to find a way to describe home in the best way that I could... I would say that home is a place where you are seen. Home is a place where you are heard. It's a place where you're truly known. It's a place where you're free to be who you really truly are and you're absolutely loved no matter what. It's a place where you don't have to pretend or put on some sort of facade, some sort of mask, a place where you don't feel the need to put out this image or portray this image of something based upon people's perspective or what people prefer you that you think that they prefer you to be. It's a place where you don't have to put on, ready for it? You don't have to put on the Instagram filter. Have you seen that? That family, you're like, your life looks so good. Obviously, your name is Hunter and Jennifer. Yeah, if your name is Hunter and Jennifer, I love you. Um, You are from Perfect Stocked. Um, You know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to put on the Instagram filter. It's not some false identity on Facebook, right? It's home. It's home. More so, home should be a place where you're valued and you're validated. You're valued and validated. And you're valued and validated for who God has created you to be and who God has intentionally and intimately designed you to be. Home is a place where you're loved unconditionally with, with, yeah, no conditions, no limits, no borders, no boundaries. You're just loved where you feel safe, where you feel protected. Home is a place of comfort, but also It's a place where you're challenged as you grow. It's a place where sometimes you're challenged, sometimes disciplined. But that's not the fun part of home, right? But you're disciplined because you're loved. Home is an environment where you know you are championed and celebrated. Home represents family. This is why we say, welcome home. We're saying welcome to the family. Not just the family of declaration, but to the family of God. You're part of this kingdom family. You're royalty. Do you get that? You're a royalty. You belong to the king. Welcome home. Our prayer as a church is that's exactly how you feel when you step into the doors of this house, that you feel loved, that you feel like family, because that's really how we see each other here. 
At least I know that that's what we pray for day in and day out. It's important, home, your household, your personal home. It's important. Your church home, it's important. But most important, the most important home this morning that I really want you to know about as we look in the context of just the word home is your home in Christ. Today, if you hear nothing else from this whole service, this whole moment where you've spent time with God, where you've worshiped God, I want you to hear this. You can and you do have a home with God found in the person of Jesus Christ. You can be home. Our God is all about knowing you and being known by you. In fact, if you wanted to just generalize, what is the will of God? I know in college, man, that's the biggest question for a collegiate. What's the will of God for my life? Oh, gosh, am I supposed to marry her or not? I mean, what's the will? You know what? If I generalize it, here's the will of God for your life. To know God and to make him known. And God is all about knowing you. If you don't know God, if you feel somewhat alone, or if you feel hopeless, or if you feel lost, I want you to know that this God is all about chasing after the lonely. He's all about chasing after the hurting, the hopeless, and those that feel lost. And and he's all about bringing them home back where they belong. That is the heartbeat and the message of God. Anybody remember the Wizard of Oz? Anybody? Wizard of Oz. Let's watch this. There's one scene, and she says what? There's no place like what? Shout it out. Oh, I can't hear you. There's no place like, yeah, the Wizard of Oz. For some reason, Dorothy never says that out loud. I know there's volume there. Okay, if you've ever heard, anybody know Michael Buble? Anybody? I love me some Buble. Buble, right? I see you, Bruce. You probably try to sing like him in the, in the shower, don't you? Yep, Vicky. <laughs> Maybe you've heard this song. I want to go what? Sing to us, Michael. Mm. That's right. That's good stuff. Michael's going to keep singing for a minute. I'm just too far. Okay, how about this one? Anybody like Christmas time? Christmas? Have you, do you have those old Christmas movies that you break out one time a year? What is this one? I'll be what for Christmas? I'll be what? I can't hear you. Say it for the, say it for the people on the podcast. I'll be what? Now they believe there's people here. <laughs> okay, what about this one? Since we're promoting December already, go ahead and put Christmas Eve on your service calendar. We're going to be here. What about this one? There's no place like what? For the holidays, the carpenters. Anybody like the carpenters? Just like me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so this is more my speed. Anybody know Daughtry? What is this one? Let's do this one. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Sing out. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. I love this. Who had ever thought that you would have come to church and heard theology from Chris Daughtry? Think about this. I'm going home. What does he say? To the place where I what? Whoa. That's pretty big. It's a place where I belong. Mercy Me. Anybody know who Mercy Me is? I don't know if you've ever heard of him. They got this song. You've probably never heard it. It's called I Can Only Imagine. I don't know. It's made a few pennies. Um, they wrote a sequel, a follow-up to that song. And... Um, The song is literally called, I've Never Been More Homesick Than Now. And I think that's just another example that captures the deepest desire of every created person. Everyone longs for home. 
We long for home. We've even created a version of home for some. It's kind of like this um, prototypical, picturesque version or image. Um, in fact, I used to use this word when I would describe the woodlands to people where we used to live, and I would call it Stepford, you know? <laughs> it's beautiful. It's plastic. It's, everything's manicured. It's great. Um, step, yeah, Stepford. At its best, Americana, 50s. Think about it. Leave it to Beaver. You've got uh, dad, you've got mom, you've got a few little kids, you know, offspring, and then you've got a puppy. And there's always a planter box, and I don't know who keeps those flowers alive, but somebody does it. Not us. We kill plants. We don't try to. We try to pray life back over them. Sometimes resurrection happens. Sometimes it doesn't. But it's always after, like, on the third day, I'm outside going, no. Okay. Um, but what is home really? Somebody's going to get that joke later, and you'll be like, that's clever. <laughs> that dude's, he is quick and clever. All right. What is home really? I mean, what is it about home that we long for? Here's the thing. I believe that if we're really going to understand um, the deepest human desire for home, it starts in Genesis. It starts in um, a healthy creation theology. I mean, think about this. Let's go to the beginning. What led to the need, if you will? What led to need? What got us to the longing for home? Genesis 1 through 3, we've talked about this before, and I talk about it often because so many times I have to go back to the beginning to get context for where I'm at. So when I look at Genesis and I see that, that, um, that all of these things happen, you know, um, I, believe, I believe looking at Genesis, um, our understanding of God is, is really shaped right here. I mean, we, we begin to understand sin. We begin to understand depravity. We begin to understand grace. We begin to understand atonement. All of these things are wrapped up in having a healthy Genesis theology. Every bit of that understanding is so important. In 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Genesis, God created a perfect home, and it was called what? Eden, the garden. It's the best picture of what we have of what the true kingdom of God is really like. It's the garden. It's Eden. Everything was perfect. It was perfect. There was intimacy with God. Um, nothing stood between man and God. There was an awareness and a knowledge, and it was tangible. It was even audible. They would have conversations with God out loud. It was incredible. Not only intimacy, there was purpose in Eden. God invited mankind into the creation story. He invited mankind right then and there in chapters 1 to be a man on mission. This is why we use the terminology of declaration. We believe you are ministers on mission. You're called by God. You were to be on co-mission with God, with one another, to see his kingdom just completely impact this earth. That we would be about the restoration of all things as we walk this planet earth to the glory of God. And we see it in Genesis. We see it right there. Adam and Eve, they got to have conversations with God. I said that. They would walk with God. Um, Adam was commissioned to help God name things. I said in the first service, I am going to ask God when I'm there about the roach thing. I don't get that. I don't understand. Nope, I don't get it. I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. I've got a, I'm panic stricken about it. I have nightmares. It's just not good. Stop. I know what you're going to do. But um, some of you are making plans right now for around Halloween, and I don't appreciate you, all right? Um, yeah, thanks. Now they are. Um, so uh, they were also commanded to have dominion over the earth, to go for and multiply. And just they, they, had, a, they had a partnership here. They had, they had some purpose. There was also provision. There was no need 
in the garden. Everything was right until this one moment of manipulation, this one moment of temptation where the enemy got to Adam and Eve and, and, and convinced them to disobey the one thing that God had commanded them not to do. And that was to eat fruit of that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in Genesis 3, verse 7, we see everything is broken. Broken. Everything. In fact, to look at it, Genesis 3, 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. Look, I love this in 3, 7. This is the very first part in biblical history that we can see where man is already trying to fix themselves. Because that's what we do, don't we? So they sew fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. They began to cover themselves. Why? Because they're broken. Now they know they're naked. They're afraid. They're lost. Punishment enters into creation in this verse. Sickness enters creation into, into, this, into this, this text right here. Um, um, pain in childbirth enters into creation. Pain in general enters into creation right here. Lack entered into creation. Need entered into creation. Inadequacy and insecurity entered into creation here. Shame and regret enters into creation right here. Adam and Eve becomes the first actual runaway story from home in a sense. Out of fear and shame. There was this deep chasm, this deep rift created between God and man at the great fall found in Genesis 3. And ever since the fall of humanity, mankind has fought to restore and to find that sense of home in the heart. And God has been vitally concerned since the beginning with seeing his creation have a way to get back home. Enter Jesus he came to seek and save that which was lost. Just as God was walking in the garden right after this happened, and he began to call out Adam and Eve. He was looking for them. It says he was walking in the cool of the day, looking for God. Where are you? That's what you'll see in your scripture. He says, where are you? So today, with the creation story in mind, I want us to take this New Testament passage and as we do, also please keep this in mind. Listen, God is vitally concerned with the repentance of broken people. God is vitally concerned with the repentance of what the scripture will call tax collectors and sinners. He's vitally concerned. He wants the lost to be found and brought back home. So let's read Luke 15, 1 through 10. It starts here. Tax collectors and sinners are approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes began complaining, saying, well, this guy over here, he welcomes sinners and he even eats with them. So Jesus tells him this story, this parable. He says, so what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? He says, when he found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, verse 6, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, Jesus kind of pivots and goes into a different story. Um, or actually before that, he says, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. And then he pivots and says, or, or what about this woman who has 10 silver coins? If she loses one coin, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost silver coin. The one that I lost, I found it. I tell you in the same way, verse 10, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. There's a guy named D.L. Moody, famous preacher guy. He was leading a small group in Chicago at one time. And there was this man who would walk a long distance just to go to that small group that D.L. Moody was teaching. And so this other guy, 
approaches his man and says, hey, man, why are you going all the way over there to be a part of that small group? Can't you find one closer to your home? And the reply that the man gave is probably similar to what the reply you would hear from the tax collectors and sinners that we just read about because this is what, they, this, is what this guy says. I go all the way over there because I really like that fellow. I really like that guy. Notice verse 1. Tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. The Pharisees, the religious um, leaders over there, the scribes, they begin to complain. And they begin to say, who is this guy who's welcoming the sinners? And look, beyond that, culturally speaking, this is a, a horrific note. You don't do this. He's even eating with them. I love the way the New American Standard breaks it because this is how the language plays in the New American Standards. It says, now all these tax collectors and the sinners, they are coming near to him to listen to him. They're coming near. You know why? Because they started liking that fellow over there. They started liking that guy. It's because of love. They, they saw something in Jesus that they saw in no one else. When sowing fig leaves couldn't do it, when the religious leaders wouldn't do it, enter Jesus. They saw something in Jesus they were seeing nowhere else. They were feeling loved by Jesus. And in return, get this, they were, get, they were starting to love him back. And in an ironic way, Jesus found himself more often being accepted by the rejects while being rejected by the religious. And it's significant. I think it's significant for you to, to take note. Jesus attracted the sinners, but the religious leaders repelled them. So what should this say about church? What should this say about our church? The church should be attracting the broken, those that are broken, those that are in need, those that the world would classify as lost or sinners. That's who Jesus attracted. That's who the church should attract. Why? Because of love. Because the spirit of Jesus lives in us, lives here. Sinners, they came to know Jesus, not because he catered to them, not because he compromised his message, but those that were truly feeling lost, those in sin who came to Jesus, they came to Jesus because they knew that Jesus cared for them. Jesus cared. So while these religious Pharisees are, are criticizing, um, they would just kind of keep their distance because they were, they were afraid that, well, those, those guys are contagious. We can't get near them, right? I mean, we can't be, we can't go hang out with them. Can't do that. That's what the religious leaders were doing. But Jesus understood their needs, and he reached out to help them. He, he went to where they were, and, and out of great compassion, he cared for them. I want you to hear this. This is the first thing I want you to remember today. God always pursues those that are lost. God pursues those that are lost. This should, um, this is what we need to do if we really mean welcome home when we say that to people. We need to pursue those people who are living in brokenness. Those people who are hurting, who feel lost, who are isolated, who feel lonely. We need to attract those people and love them. Why? Because God does, and he pursues them. 
We need to carry his presence everywhere we go because the presence of Jesus and the love of Jesus is attractive. This is how the spirit of a Pharisee thinks. Don't miss it. He says, well, you know, it's bad enough that Jesus would welcome them. I mean, these outcasts, he taught them, but he also, he ate with them. See, here's the thing, man. The Jewish leaders, they didn't get it. They did not see yet that the Son of Man did not come to validate their religion. The Son of Man came to restore the reject. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That was the purpose in Jesus as a whole. I mean, that's what he was about. They didn't see it. We need, in turn, we need to reach out to those in need of Jesus. That's part of our vision that people would know God that they would know God and find freedom, discover who they are, their identity, their purpose, and then join into that mission that he's created you for to make an eternal impact. That's why we do this. We got to reach out to those in need. We have to invite them into our lives, into our homes, and into our home here, our church. We need to walk in the spirit so they'll be attracted to Jesus and feel invited to welcome home. It says the outcasts were drawing near in the New American Standard. They were coming close to Jesus. While the religious were stiff-arming them. You know what? I'm looking around. We just started this second service this morning, and I'm so encouraged. Because, man, it's just been an incredible morning. But I still look, and, and, and I love the fact that we've created space for more people. These chairs, we say this in our, in our, with our serve, team, our serve team called Dream Team, which I invite all of us to be a part of. Man, you know, one person can't do everything, but everybody can do something to make a real kingdom difference. And I believe that, man, we have the privilege to serve God and serve people, love God and love people. But these chairs are important. They're so important. You know why? Because an empty chair is not just a chair that someone has to set up reluctantly every morning. A chair is an empty chair that someone gets to set up and pray over because that chair represents somebody. That chair represents somebody that's living in brokenness and need and hurt and isolation and loneliness and fear. And they're starving for home starving for home. So we've got to reach out to them. We've got to love them. You know, I said it. The outcasts were drawing close, but the religious, they're stiff-arming him. By this metric, by this model, I would rather, and I hope that our church would rather be considered a reject than religious. I want to be about reaching out to people. I want to be about our church service. You know, here's my prayer. My prayer is that you come and, and that you get encouraged and that you learn something in this marathon of life that we're walking through and that, that you get affirmed in your walk with God and you get equipped and empowered to serve and all these things. But that is really not what Sunday morning is designed for. Sunday morning is really not designed for you. Sorry, I love you. <laughs> I do, but it's not. Sunday morning is designed for you to come and for you to worship and exalt God. And in, in the book of John, it just talks about that when we lift him high, he draws men close. And so really, Sunday morning is designed for these who aren't here yet. That's what it's designed for. It's the perfect invitation to step into the kingdom and to find life and to be home to be home. Look at the love of Jesus in verse 3. It says, Jesus went on to tell this parable. He says, what man among you who had a hundred sheep loses one of them and does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the one until he finds it? Go after the lost one until he finds it. You know, for years I've often heard this phrase, sheep are stupid. Have you heard that before? Sheep are stupid. But they really aren't. Typically they're actually pretty intelligent. They're pretty smart because they know that they're supposed to stick together. But every now and then, you get that one sheep. He's got a better idea. He's going to do it independently his way, and he wanders off, right? Every now and then, it happens. It's important that they band together, though. It's important that they stick together. 
Because if a predator is threatening the whole flock, it's not good for you to have the day when you decide to be a maverick and go it on your own, right? It's not a good thing. Sometimes sheep have the tendency to go astray, which is exactly why they need a shepherd. Here's a new newsflash. Sometimes the newsflash is this. We have the tendency to go astray. Our hearts are prone to wander. And we need a shepherd. I remember my wife, Kelly, teaching our kids when they were wee little dudes, right? They could barely even talk. The, the recordings are super cute. I should have found one so you could hear it. And she would teach them a scripture verse that corresponded to letters of the alphabet. So letter A, Isaiah 53, they would say, all we like sheep have gone astray. And I'll never forget Jack because he was the most animated. And so here we go, all we like sheep have gone astray. I mean, you know, <laughs> the scribes and the Pharisees, man, they had no problem seeing the tax collectors and the sinners as lost sheep. The problem is, is they would never apply that image to themselves. But all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all decided to go our own way at some point or time, and that that even includes the religious. We need God. So Jesus says, what man among you, if you owned a 100 sheep, what man among you would not leave the 99 to go pursue after the lost one? The shepherd would leave the sheep. He would leave the 99 in an open field with another shepherd so they stayed protected, so they stayed under the covering of that shepherd's protection, and he'd go after to find that sheep. Why did he do it? Two quick things. Simple. One is super tangible. If the shepherd did not own these sheep and he lost one, he would have to prove that a predator killed it. Otherwise, he may have to pay for it, and that's expensive. So get this. Sheep have value. They have value. But the second thing is this, that shepherd most of the time spends most of his days with those sheep. He becomes intimately aware of each and every one. Most likely he has named each and every one. He knows what those sheep like and don't like. He actually has an affection for his sheep. And so when one of them is lost or has wandered off, everything in that shepherd wants to do everything he can to go pursue that one and find it and bring it back home where it belongs. Those are the two things. I mean, he didn't want his sheep to be in danger. Sheep is dear to him. It's valuable. He would go after the one. I mean, does this sound familiar? I want you to go back to Genesis. Think about it. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, everything's broken, and God is walking in the cool of the, night, or the evening in the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? Does this sound familiar, God in the garden? I mean, listen. Let me ask you this, because I ask myself these questions a lot. When is the last time that you were willing to leave the comfort of the 99 to chase after the one? When is the last time? You know, being a pastor for the last now nearly 19 months, at least in this capacity, I begin to learn a little bit more of what the heart of the shepherd looks like. Because even in this time frame in life, I mean, we... we, um, a lot of us are overstimulated, overextended, oversaturated in our calendar, right? I mean, come on, somebody. Is it just me? Um, and so we can be committed to a lot of things. We can be deeply committed to a lot of things. But one thing I notice is, is that we, as we overextend our calendars more and more and more, we kind of begin to sift out a little bit. And, and it's kind of like the guy who does 100 things kind of well and, and nothing really well. 
we find ourselves in that place. Am I just speaking? Do I need to look in the mirror right now and just have a self-therapy session or is somebody with me, right? Okay. And so as a, as a shepherd, as a pastor, there are times when I'm like, okay, was it me or them? Where'd they go? Because I'll look up and I'm missing some families and I begin to pray, God, what's going on? Second week comes around and they're not here. God, are they okay? I, and then I reach out. Finally, I'll, I'll reach out. Why? You know why? Because I can't sleep at night anymore because God has done something in me, in my heart, and it begins to break when I wonder, did some sheep decide to wander off? And they're like, oh, no, dude, we were just at Disney World. I'm, okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> Next time, bring me some Mickey ears and validate a brother. Come on, you know? <laughs> But when's the last time you were willing to leave the 99 for the one? When's the last time you were so motivated by the one that it absolutely wrecked you? It wrecked you to know that there was someone that was lost and feeling alone and isolated and hopeless. Have you ever been so consumed with grief over the one who doesn't yet know Jesus personally and intimately? Have you ever looked to the right and the left of the houses next door and you know their story, you've gotten to know them, you're actually kind of quasi-friends and you know that they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and it absolutely keeps you up at night? Have you found yourself there? I mean, what if somebody in your family were to tragically lose their life apart from intimately knowing God and knowing that they're known by God and they didn't know him? Do these, does, does any of that just kind of weigh on you with any gravity? I mean, so much so that you would do anything. You would leave the 99 if need be, and you would do anything to go get that one. To run with passion after it. As if you're on a mission to get the message of Jesus Christ, the most valuable, important thing that anybody could ever hear is, welcome home, come home. I mean, the shepherd wanted the lost sheep home. And listen, today, God deeply desires the lost soul to come home. I really want you to know this. Homes where you were intimately known and unconditionally loved. The declaration, that is my prayer. I've been a part of a lot of churches. And the last thing that I ever want to look up and see is that we have created a scenario where you are intimately known, but you are not unconditionally loved. I can't tell you how, how, hard my, how hard my heart beats for that, that, that this would be a house of unconditional love. Not that we would condone things when we know that you're stepping into a traffic full of danger. That we'd say, man, we love you enough to tell you you're in danger. And that you would know that you were loved enough to know that we were saying that out of love. Does that make sense? Home should be the safest place you know. There should be so much peace at home, so much that your shepherd would ensure your safety, but still chase after you if you wander off. Verse five, when he has found the lost sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. He joyfully picks up this 50 pound or so sheep and hoists it over his shoulders and he runs back, he gets back to the rest and look at what verse six says. Read it with me. And coming what? Oh, I can't hear you. Coming what? He calls his friends and neighbors together, says to them, hey, come on, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Come, let's rejoice together. I found my lost sheep. I mean, look at the shepherd. He's wanting to celebrate that he found the sheep. Verse 7, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy. Somebody say more joy. There will be more joy in heaven over one 
sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. That's good. So not only at home should you be intimately known and unconditionally loved, but home is where you are protected and celebrated. Man, that is my prayer for you, that, that together, whether it's in your small group, which I, I, I champion that you would be a part of one. Next week, we're going to have the opportunity for you to sign up for a small group. Man, that is a place where you are going to be comforted. You are going to be um, deep, making deeper relationships, prayed for, covered. Um, my prayer is that, that at that place, at home, you know you were protected, covered, and championed. Jesus said it another way, verse 8. He kind of pivots and he says, okay, let's look at a woman who has 10 silver coins. If she loses one coin, does she not light up a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Now listen, when a Jewish girl gets married, she begins to wear this headband um, of 10 silver coins, and it signifies that she's a new wife. That's what's happening. So in this Jewish version um, of this this. It's basically the Jewish version of a modern wedding ring. And it would be considered really horrible if she were to lose one of these coins. That's exactly what happened. Imagine her joy at finding this coin. The Palestinian's dark house, lighting some sort of light, doing everything you can to sweep and clean and look for that coin. And she finds it. And it says, verse 9, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin that I lost. Rejoice, I found the coin. Come on. It's a repeated story in a sense. And here's why. Because anytime something is lost, but then it's found, joy accompanies it. Joy accompanies it. So Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Because God is vitally concerned with the repentance of sinners, because he wants the lost to be found and brought back home, when they are brought back home, great rejoicing occurs. Repentance precedes rejoicing. And Jesus is smart. He knows his audience. He's looking at the room and he speaks to the men and he talks to them about sheep because that's kind of their wheelhouse. And then he turns the corner because the women are just as important and he starts to talk to the women about pretty frilly things like silver coins and headbands, right? But he's saying the same thing. Repentance precedes rejoicing. Verse 10, I tell you the same way. There is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. If it's only one, it's fine. If it's only one, it's worth it. It's right. I've been in ministry for now about 20 years, and I can't tell you, it's kind of like this morning when we go to two services and we're like, okay, dream team, if there's only one person in the room at nine o'clock, praise Jesus. Secretly, we're going, oh God, please put people in chairs. Please, God, please. It's gonna be embarrassing. (laughs) But this is absolutely true. It's all worth it for the one. What is seeing the one come home worth to you? Is seeing the one come home worth your talent? Is seeing the one come home worth your generosity and your giving? Is seeing the one come home worth your serving? Is seeing the one come home worth the most valuable, precious commodity you have, your time? Is seeing the one come home to Jesus worth your investment and your sacrifice and your blood and your sweat and your tears and your prayers of begging God? Is seeing the one come home worth that? Passionately crying out nonstop on behalf of your family and your neighbors. You're inviting them to come to church with you. You're inviting them, engaging them to be a part of your small group. Is it worth it? What is home worth to you and me? Don't forget. God wants everyone to know him intimately. And more importantly, God wants you to know that you are intimately known by him. Our God goes after the one. And we should do the same. 
with everything we can because we are called to join him in the mission to share his message for the sake of others and for the sake of the one. So what about us? Just as we wrap up this morning, are we concerned with the one? Are we concerned with the one, the lost one coming home? What are we willing to do to see the tax collectors of our day and the sinners of our day run into this room just because they want to be close to Jesus? Or what are we willing to do as God calls us to shepherd his sheeps? His sheeps, his sheep. Thank you. Public education, I got it. I mean, these two stories, these parables help us understand something, what it means to be lost and then found. Sheep belong with the flock. Coins belong on the chain. And lost sinners belong at home in the fellowship of God. They belong home. To be lost means you're out of service. It means you're out of place. To be found means you're back in place and reconciled to God and back in service, living out your purpose. Charles Wesley said something. He says, the church has nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent on this work. That's what we are called to. So this morning, here's what I want to invite you to do. Begin to beg God to give you eyes to see people the way he sees people and love people the way he loves people. Begin to get into people's lives and engage them out of the compassion and mercy and love and grace of Jesus Christ. You carry the glory and presence of God inside of you. You are the fragrant aroma of life for so many people in need. You are a minister on mission, fully in love with God, declaring his greatness. Our, our heart, our vision, our goal, everything that we're about, the four things we do at this church are pointing to people knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose, and making a difference. Join into that. It's the most important thing and the most beautiful gift that you can offer someone when you hold Jesus up to them and invite him to come home. There's no place like home. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning, God. And Lord, if there's anyone in this house that needs to come home, maybe they've wandered off, Lord, I pray that they would simply turn around and you would meet them right where they are and they'd see your love for them. Father, if there's someone in the room that has never invited you to be their friend, they want forgiveness, they want freedom, but they've never surrendered their life to you and just invited you to take over their life and change them and make them new. Lord, would you just make their heart pound in their chest right now to say, yes, let's do that today. And as we pray, if that's you this morning, if you want to invite Jesus into your life, if you want to be forgiven and free, and you want to be back home, the Bible simply says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It's that simple. Just invite Jesus to take over. Be your friend. Forgive you. Walk with you. And he will love you and meet you there and welcome you home. That's all it is. Welcome home. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Church, I love you. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not a perfect person. I can't love you like God does. But I love you. But here's what's even better. God loves you 
so much more than anyone could ever. He loves you more than your own parents. He loves you more than your spouse loves you. He absolutely, unconditionally, unwaveringly, recklessly, relentlessly loves you. And so let's respond to him in that way. Can we just give him 10 more minutes? And here's what I want to do. Three things. Let's respond just in prayer or worship. Maybe we're going to stand and we're just going to worship for a minute. Second thing, if you need someone to pray with you, we have prayer partners in the back, right back there. And just go back right now as we respond and and grab one of them and pray with them. If you have invited Christ into your life for the very first time today, or maybe you are a wandering sheep for a minute and, and you want to come back home, go grab them and let them pray with you. And the third thing is that we come to the table together. It's just a a way we respond to God and say thank you. We come humbly and we come receiving so much in this moment with him. We meet with him in this way. But here's what I'm gonna say. Only come to the table if you have surrendered your life to Christ. And before you come, spend that moment with him and say, Father, give me clean hands and a pure heart. Point out anything you find in me that might grieve you because that's the proper way in humility to come to the table. We come to the table and we have bread that represents the body of Christ and we understand that we were broken and he was whole but he willingly became broken so that we could become whole. We understand that he was full and we were empty but he willingly emptied himself so that we could be filled. He poured his blood out to cover us. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church Podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teaching, visit declaration.org slash podcast.